Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. I'm Sarah and I'm here with session three, talking about and looking through the book of Philippians. And it's been a really exciting week at The Message, hasn't it? I'm sure you'll have heard Andy's amazing talk on Tuesday telling us all about the community groceries and the amazing things that are happening in those places. It's also been a really great week for Eden. On Monday, we launched our latest Eden team in Redcar. Redcar is a seaside town in the northeast of England, not actually very far from where I grew up. So it's been really great spending time there, getting to know those guys and they're going to be led by an incredible couple, Dave and Meg Latham. They used to be with us here in Manchester, felt called over there and have been called into the position of team leader. So please do be praying for Dave, pray for Meg, pray for their family. They're expecting another baby in June. So uh, pray for them and their team as they grow and settle right at the start of their Eden adventure. We also have an amazing milestone that we've been celebrating this week with our Eden team in Bow. Alex Hall and her husband Phil moved down to Bow almost just over 10 years ago. They are what are these incredible people who are double Edeners. They started out in Sheffield and then they moved down to London, felt God's call there, and they've celebrated 10 years working in the community of Bow alongside All Hallows Church an incredible testimony to what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Such encouragement from those at the beginning and such encouragement from those who are well along the journey as well. We've also been uh, enjoying many other series on Message Live and I'd love to just draw your attention to the Grief and Grace series that's been showing, looking at grief, looking at loss, personal stories, personal testimonies, that really touch the heart, that really resonate with many of the feelings that people have at the moment. I'd love to encourage you to check that out at 5pm today on Message Live. Tonight's message is going to be really evangelistic. So if you've got friends who are going through grief, friends who are struggling, then please do share that with them, point them in that direction. Hopefully it will be something that encourages you. So Eden is an incarnational ministry. That's one of the words that we use to describe it. And our passage today in Philippians really unpacks this incredible concept of what the incarnation is. We talk about a scripture in John 1 verse 14, which says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the message paraphrase, it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood that motivates so much of our theology, so much of our action, so much of our mindset. And we're going to dig into that even deeper today as we look at our passage from Philippians. We're going to read together Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an incredible scripture. How rich, how beautiful, how incredible. And let me just say, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages have been written about this short little passage. And I'm not going to attempt to go into some of the depth of the theology and some of the minutiae of the detail, because I think the very fact that Jesus, who was God, became a man and became a man who died is just so incredible that we could spend weeks on that very fact itself. So that's what we're going to focus on today. First of all, we're going to look a little bit about this call to unity and the challenge to imitate Christ's humility. And then we're going to have a little look at what it means to empty ourselves and how we can move in that um, downward mobility pattern that Jesus moved in. So first of all, Paul talks about living a life that is worthy of the gospel. It links back to what we were talking about last week. And what does a worthy life look like? Well, he he gives us lots of um, things that we should be feeling, things that we should be experiencing. Fruits, perhaps, might be a word that you want to, to use about what life in Christ looks like. Encouragement, tenderness, compassion, comfort. He says, if you've experienced any of this, make my joy complete by being one in mind and one in purpose. Submitting to one another, being part of a community that is pulling together, not pulling apart. And when we look at the church today, obviously that's not always the picture that we see and that's hugely disappointing because consistently throughout scripture, there's a call to unity. But unity comes through humility. Unity comes through preferring others to ourselves, through putting the greater need first, the greater good first. It's a counterculture picture to the world. It brings strength and longevity if we're working together. It's needed because we've got a job to do. There's a purpose in what we do. C.S. Lewis talks about having the Christ life in us. Paul talks a lot about being in Christ or united with Christ. But I like this way that he puts it, having Christ's life in us, which enables us and motivates us to be unified with people of quite different backgrounds and quite different mindsets and quite different behaviours, but all coming together under the one purpose, the one banner of Christ and his purposes and his glory. I have two small boys and uh, if you've ever seen them and if you know Steve and myself, then chances are you have said this very phrase that everyone says, which is, wow, don't they look just like their dad? Everybody says it. If you've met us for the first time, if you've known us for years, if you haven't seen us for a while, all the time, they've got big blue eyes like him, they've got ginger hair like him, he takes all the credit, I did all the hard work, and that's how it seems to be. They imitate him, they resemble him. And actually, in their personalities, it's very similar. They resemble us because they spend so much time with us because we're molding them, shaping them, teaching them. And this last few months of homeschool has been a humbling and a 
stressful time, I'm sure, for many of you, also for us, because it's like you have a mirror to yourself walking around all the time, saying the words that you say, thinking the thoughts that you think, doing the actions that you do. And sometimes that's, you know, a bit encouraging and gratifying and you think, hey, I'm doing quite a good job. And sometimes it's fairly dreadful and you think, oh my word, what have I done here? I've created a monster. But children are programmed to imitate their parents because that's how they learn. They learn by watching. They learn by listening. They learn by copying. And we don't filter our behavior in the home very well. So they get to imitate every bit of us, the good and the bad. And as Christians, we're called to imitate Christ, to be like him, to think like him, to speak like him, to be like him, to do what he does. But it's a really countercultural act because as, as humans, we're actually born inherently selfish. It's a survival mechanism. Initially, we need food, we need warmth, we need care to survive and to grow, especially as small babies and young children. And so we demand that. But that demanding turns into a desire to control, a desire to dominate, a desire to get our own way. Perhaps you've seen it with younger children and older children as well. And and really, as adults, we find ways of masking it, but that still exists in our deepest desires. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to dominate those around us. We have our selfish ambition. We have our vain conceits. Paul puts his finger right on it, doesn't he? And actually, when you look at society, what is valued is something called social mobility. It's moving up. We have graded people we have graded our society from low to high from worthless to to valuable and actually when Paul is talking about a worthy life he's talking about something quite different to what we value in society in society what you need to move up the ladder are three things you need economic capital you need money you need possessions you need assets you need social capital you need relationships. You need people who will um, help you up the ladder. You need influential networks that will help you get to where you want to be. And you need cultural capital. You need education. You need skills. You need knowledge. You need those letters after your name in order to climb up. And some of the markers of how likely it is that you will be able to do that are things like health, education, housing, income, your race, the social class that you start life in, your gender. Perhaps if you start to reflect on some of these attributes of your own life, you'll start to see, and you may have even come up against this struggle, how do I become better? How do I move up? What does aspiration look like for me? We're hardwired uh, as an aspirational people. But our society, when it bases the, the ability to move up on some things that we can't change is inherently unjust. It's inherently unfair. So many of these things we have no choice about. So many people are destined never to move up. And this is why the message of Christ is so compelling, is so refreshing and actually brings such freedom because we, he tips this social mobility on its head and he talks about downward mobility and we're going to dig into this a little bit more in a second. Because he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but look to the interests of others. And that's the key word in this passage, others, not self. We've been so self-focused, so self-centered, so much about getting me what I want and what I like and how I prefer things to be. But actually, the Christian life is about others. 
That's why we have the hat that others have for reading, which was the shortest sermon that William Booth ever preached. He just sent a telegram that said, others, remember others, focus on others. And perhaps that seems a risky strategy, submitting to others. Perhaps you fear being a doormat. Perhaps you fear being seen as weak. But humility is not a weakness. Humility is actually a great strength. Humility is recognising your power, your influence, all the capital that you have and bringing it in alignment and bringing it under control so that you can serve, so that you can be part of the greater good, so that you can, for the sake of Christ, come together with his body. Humility is body thinking. It's not individual thinking. That's why it's key that this is the pursuit of everybody. It doesn't work in a church if you've got one person seeking to dominate and everyone else trying to be humble. Humility is for everyone, not just for those who haven't got the ambition or haven't got the skills or haven't got the strength. The most humble person was the strongest person we have ever known. Jesus is the embodiment of true humility. In order to clarify this point further, Paul moves on to this incredible poem, this incredible hymn, these beautiful verses. And he starts with this. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And in the other other versions of the Bible, it says he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. These are rich, heavy, beautiful terms. They show us how the early church thought of Jesus. They show us what they understood about who he was and what he did. Jesus was God. We can say that. It rolls off the tongue. We're like, yeah, of course Jesus was God. But this was massive for those guys. Saying that a human man was God, equating the two together would have been hugely challenging, hugely offensive. And yet, this is how they understood him. Jesus, God, in very nature. Jesus was um, there. It talks in the, you know, that passage in John 1 that I referenced earlier, didn't it? About Jesus being there at the beginning in creation. He didn't start to exist when he was born as a human. He pre-existed. He has always been and will always be. The very nature of God is understood best when we understand who Jesus was and who Jesus is. There is no division, there's no hierarchy. He was with God in the beginning and he was owed all the respect, all the honour, all the power, all the glory that God was owed. And yet, Jesus did something which no man has ever succeeded in doing. He stripped himself, he emptied himself, he made himself nothing. This was incredible. The Greek word for this is kenosis, emptying, removing the the temptation of self, removing the focus of self and um, humbling himself. This is the opposite of the direction that we see Adam and Eve traveling in, in the garden. Adam and Eve seek to be more like God, seek to raise up above their humanity. Similarly with Satan, he wants to be God and all of them are punished. All of them fall as a result of this ambition. Jesus is God. And he doesn't seek to stay there to have any advantage from that. He seeks to come down. He seeks to move to be closer to his people. Tom Wright explains this really well. He said, this is a God who is known most clearly when he abandons his rights 
for the sake of the world. It goes on to say, the decision to become human and to go all the way along the road of obedience, obedience to the divine plan of salvation, yes, all the way to the cross. This decision was not a decision to stop being divine. It was a decision about what it really meant to be divine. Jesus was the only one who could move down. He was the only one who could step out of heaven and rescue us. No human could ever do that. No one could ever match up. And this this was part of his very nature. It goes on, again, Paul goes on to say, being found in appearance of a man, he humbles himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is almost like a double humility. There's this huge step down, becoming a man, becoming a human, not even a human man like in adult form. He starts off as a baby. I mean, babies are ridiculous. They can do nothing. They are born so um, so needy, so vulnerable, so weak. The human baby is like the most weak baby that's born, I think, out of the whole animal kingdom. And that's what he became, that huge step down, that putting off of all the glory, putting off of all the honour, moving from that beautiful place in heaven where he's glorified to a place where he's despised, where he's misunderstood, where he just has to do regular human things. But the second move of Christ is that he submitted to physical death and to spiritual separation from his father. The obedience to death that was never something that was designed to be his. We have to obey death. We are under death, but he was not. And yet this double humility, this double step down was a daily decision was a regular battle for the 33 years that he lived on earth. And as we seek to emulate this downward mobility, this this stepping down, this humbling ourselves, as we seek to be an incarnational movement inspired by this incredible doctrine, inspired by this incredible example that we have, let's be really clear on one thing. We are not Christ. We are not the saviors of this world. We cannot do that unique thing that he did. We cannot stand in the gap. We cannot atone for anyone else's sin. He has done that and that is sufficient. But there are things that we can do. There are things that we can emulate, the mindset of Christ and some of the activities. You see, what areas did Jesus move down in? What did he empty himself of? Well, power for one, privilege, status, whether we've been born with that, whether we have managed to achieve that throughout our lifetime. Are we hanging on to that or are we looking to submit that to others and primarily to Christ? What about our physicality, our health, our bodies, the things that we do with them? Jesus submitted his body, his very self to death. What, how do we use our bodies, our physicality, our time, our energy, our strength? How do we submit them? What about place? This is a big thing for us as Eden teams. Place is so important. How do we choose places that are um, the places most in need of the gospel? Places where others would not look twice. Places where people are trying to get out of. If you think about it, Jesus was in the glory of heaven. He was constantly being worshipped. He was adored. He was in complete union with his father. He was in the best place. And he chose to come to earth. A huge step. He moved into the neighbourhood. In the same way that we look to gain social capital, Jesus shed it. 
He shed any economic capital. He was the God with a cattle on a thousand hills. And yet in human form, he didn't even have a home or a bed to lay his head. He shed his social capital. He was in perfect communion with the almighty God, the primary, most influential, most powerful relationship in the whole of creation. And yet he spent his time as a human with the outcasts, with the down and out, with the afflicted and the injured. His relationships were so different. What about cultural capital? Well, he gave that up to his power, his privilege, his status, everything that was afforded to him, everything that was his right, everything that he had gained or that was, that was actually his, he gave it up and became limited. How can we follow suit? Emptying ourselves of finance, possessions, changing where we live, changing our relationships, Instead of looking for friends with influence, looking for friends who are powerless, instead of looking for friends who can get us somewhere, looking for people that we can help up, looking for people and places where we can make a difference. How can we utilise the capital that we have, education, skills, training, whatever that might be, and put it to service, put it to serving others, put it to building his kingdom? All of these things we could do as an outward act. We could move, we could give away our money, we could tick off a list of things to do that make us like Christ. But none of those things would make a difference if we hadn't had the heart connection and the mind transformation that we need by being with him. Our final, the final part of the passage says this. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word Lord there, it's the same Hebrew word Yahweh, the word that God revealed as his name to Moses. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who was, who is and who is to come through his descent to earth and then to death and then back to life again, Jesus is raised to the highest place. He is given a position higher than any other position on earth. He is the Lord of all earth. And that is just something that inspires in me just amazement, just worship. If I want to imitate Christ, if I want to follow him, how's that going to happen? It's going to happen in worship. I just want to read from Revelation uh, verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 11 to 14 um, before we finish. And that really points forward to what this looks like, this worship, this bowing of the knee, this every tongue confessing. And uh, John has this vision, and in this vision he says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I'd love that 
to be our response to this message today. Don't sit there thinking, how can I suddenly start emptying myself? Do I need to move? What should I give away? Don't focus on those external things just now. They will come through the Christ life in us. So let's focus on Christ. Let's do what it says in those verses. I would love us to spend a few minutes now exalting him. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.